This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by myself entitled Matters of the Heart. Uh, feel free to always check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you can sign up for my dad's weekly essays that he writes. If you put your email in the little email subscribe box, you can also find all of our archived Shabbat messages and you can get them wherever you get your podcasts. As always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. You can find him at his website, evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does All right, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 12, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, I don't know. I don't usually like title my messages per se, but I guess if you gave this one a title, I'd call it Matters of the Heart because all through this chapter, that was kind of the theme that I noticed and saw was, and hopefully I can tie and, and we'll get to see as we go through this, this idea of what's going on in the inside of the person and the heart and the mind of the person gets manifest outwardly. And you're going to, we're going to hopefully see again, kind of like I spoke in my uh, last message, you, this kind of juxtaposed of somewhat two groups of people Yeshua, his followers, the believers, the Gentiles, and then the religious authority of the day. And it it's all woven through these different scenarios and themes. Uh, the Sabbath, and then the Gentiles, the thoughts of these people, um, uh, demon, devil, possession even, the fruits that, that are produced. And, and I think all these... Uh, illustrations stem from the same thing, which is what's what's going on inside the the heart and the mind of the person, and how then that gets uh, borne out in the life of the individual. So, um, so we're gonna kind of we're gonna go through the whole chapter, and as we kind of, I'm gonna read through like sections of it, and then we'll we'll stop and and talk, and hopefully you know connect connect stuff as we go. So we'll pray and then do that. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, this Shabbat, time to be together to look into your word and uh, learn from it and read it and study it. And I pray that you would just help us to apply it to our lives, that we would um, go forth, be light, salt, and do what's right and glorify you, God. And I thank you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, so um, so it starts out with the Sabbath. So and we're going to read um, basically... 1 1 through 8 so we'll start there so matthew 12 chapter chapter 12 verse 1 at that time yeshua went on the sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat but when the pharisees saw it they said unto him behold thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the sabbath day he said unto them have ye not read what david did when he was hungered and they that were with him how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. 
Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But ye, but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy in that not sacrifice ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So, oftentimes, we as Sabbath keepers get used this passage to be like, See, Jesus did away with the Sabbath. Even he and his followers broke it. Wrong, actually. That's not what it says here. He says uh, in 5, uh, uh, or no, I'm sorry, uh, 7. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. In other words, he says his, he and his followers are guiltless. And so, in other words, they did not uh, profane the Sabbath day. They did not break the Sabbath day. So, um, what, what I want us to see here in this section is this principle that, he, uh, that I think he lays out. And that's in verse 6. He says that in this place is one greater than the temple. So, I believe he's using an illustration here to show there is a principle of the greater. In a given scenario, there is the lesser and the greater. And so, in other words, on the Sabbath, should you starve to death or so that you don't break the Sabbath? Or should you eat so that you can be alive to keep the Sabbath? And so he uses the illustration of um, David when he goes into the temple. And so, and if you know that story, they're on the run for their lives and are probably have no little food at all and, you know, are going to... Uh, either faint by the wayside and get overtaken by their enemies, or they can go to the temple, they can get the showbread, which legally they're not supposed to eat, but there's a principle here, and they eat the showbread, the priests aid them, and then actually Saul gets angry. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But the idea being that God has his, his laws and his commandments, and they are um, they're rigid, right? They're black and white. But then there are situations where something arises that uh, on the Sabbath day, another illustration that gets used is, and he used it against them, should you circumcise a boy if it's the eighth day, but it's on the Sabbath? Well, the moil has to work if he's going to circumcise that boy on the Sabbath day. But even they understood that it was more important for them to keep the commandment of circumcision and break the Sabbath day than it would be to keep the Sabbath and break the commandment of circumcision on the eighth day. And so there's, there's built, I believe, into the scriptures the spirit of the law. And that's why I think people misunderstand Paul a lot is because they misunderstand this idea of there's the black words on white paper, but then there's the spirit and the meaning and the intention and the life behind those black words on white paper. I can give instructions to my children all day long and I can write them on their door and be like, this is the rules of the house. But if I never hug them, if we never talk, if we never go through life and work through things and they learn how to interpret life situations according to those guidelines and those rules, there's no relationship. And so you end up then creating your own laws and your own interpretations out of the lack of relationship with that authority inside your heart. And that was what was going on here. So you have the Orthodox, the religious leadership of the day, that actually, if you read the whole scripture, 
they had not a relationship with God to understand and know his scripture and then to apply it to daily life. What they did was they created a religious system based on scripture that then they uh, mutated and corrupted. So what, what was going on here is they said, they had come up with the laws that said, if you were to walk out into your orchard right now and pick an apple and eat it on the Sabbath day, you should be put to death because you're profaning the Sabbath. You're working, you are harvesting. And the way that they they derived all of these, these little micro laws was during the construction of the temple, they would stop building the temple on the Sabbath day. And so the Orthodox said, okay, or the Pharisees now basically is the Orthodox. They said, okay, anything that was done on the temple is work. And so you can't do any of that, i.e. you need to pre-tear your toilet paper, tape your light switches, whatever, can't drive your car, you can only walk so many steps. I mean, it, yeah, it gets, you can't carry that pen. Put that down, Kevin. Uh, so, so, yeah, you can't create. So you, they would come up with all this minutia. Now, figuring out what's right and wrong on the Sabbath is very important because if you don't care what's right and wrong on the Sabbath, that if I don't care what my parents tell me to do and whether or not, then there is no relationship on in that direction either. But the more important thing is to, what's the point behind all of this, right? And that's, and that's life. You know, God has a plan of life and prosperity for his people. And if you donate into our ministry, You'll get blessed a hundred. I'm kidding. That's... <laughs> I'm kidding. Not. But but it's 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 the principle of if you will obey, God will bless. Now, there's all kinds of issues on that level. But but that's the general principle. And but there has to be relationship there. That's why I titled this "The Matters of the Heart." What's going on? You see this juxtaposition between Yeshua and his disciples, and what they do, and how they live, and then how that interpret interprets Scripture, and then how they act. Right. So, these thoughts and what's unseen, and what's in your heart, and what's in your mind comes out in how you live and what you do, and that's how you know people by their fruits. So. Things that I want us to see there is that uh, that Orthodox in the temple, um, the do's and don'ts, and then um, how Yeshua did honor the Sabbath. He did not break the Sabbath because he said, um, if you had known what this means, I have, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So the bottom line is they are not guilty. That's a quote from Hosea chapter 6. And the whole idea being sacrifices were brought because of sin. And so if, if the people would live according to the scripture and with mercy, there wouldn't be a need for sacrifice in the first place. But it's because of sin and transgression that sacrifices have to get brought. The point isn't to bring a sacrifice. See, the sacrifice is the outward display that, look at me, I'm bringing a bull and you could only bring a dove. Well, you're not as righteous as I am. No, the point is you, neither of you should be there in the first place having to bring a sacrifice. It's because of sin and our inability to draw near to God that sacrifices had to be brought in the first place. Why? Because anytime there's sin, there's death. There's a separation. And so to take to remove that penalty, some that, that penalty has to go somewhere. So instead of 
wiping out all of mankind. God was merciful to us and gave us the ability to uh, uh, sacrifice animals to, uh, to deal with that. And then ultimately his sacrifice is that which enables us to draw near to God to get back into the garden. It was only, it's only God himself who can remove sin. Okay. It's, it's, it's the principles of physics. So, all right, carrying on. So, uh, next we see, uh, nine and he, and when he departed thence, he went into their synagogue. So we see Yeshua kept the Sabbath, uh, picking grain out of a field on the, uh, as you're walking by is, is not uh, worthy of death. And he went to the synagogue. That was his normal practice. And, um, so because, you know, basically how to observe the Sabbath, we have to basically derive from the little bit of information essentially that we get from the scriptures. It's not real specific. Um, and like everybody uses the illustration of the guy picking up sticks and they stoned him. Um, I personally don't think he was just out there randomly picking up a couple of sticks cause he wanted to like cook some food or keep his uh, family warm. I think he was flagrantly defiant in the face of the instructions that had been given. And so when you have that type of infection in the community, it has to be stamped out. Otherwise it spreads. And uh, so that's why God is constantly dealing with uh, habitual offenders, right? What do you do with those people? You have to remove them from society because they are a destructive force. There's a difference between someone who accidentally screws up, knowingly screws up, but you know, is repentant because they're actually sorrowful and somebody who's basically like, yeah, whatever, what are you going to do about it? You know, those people have to be stamped out. And that's what God did, you know, very uh, quickly and speedily. And so you see this picture of the Sabbath. But again, what I want us to focus on is what's inside that motivates the response to God's word. Okay. And carrying on. Uh, so let's see, we're going to go, um, we're going to keep reading here. Verse 10. And so he goes in the synagogue, verse 10, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And then they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they may accuse him? And he said unto them, what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, he will not lay hold of it and lift it out. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Again, that principle, the greater, the lesser and the greater. Wherefore, it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he said to the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. And the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. But when Yeshua knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. So... So they're all PO'd that he's healing people, God forbid, on the Sabbath day, because they say, um, uh, it, it, uh, and they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? Because according to their laws, not the Torah or their interpretation of the Torah, it was not lawful to heal on the Sabbath day because it would be performing some sort of work or you would have a, a change of elemental state. They get really minutia bound. And on some levels, it's important to think about the scripture that way and how you walk it out. Uh, but it has to be, again, from a, from a place of how can I be an obedient child to my heavenly father versus how can I be more 
brownie point righteous and get another pin on my sash, you know, and look better. That's not the point. That is from a attitude of self-righteousness and self-aggrandizing, of pride, uh, lack of humility. God doesn't like any of those things. He, he, uh, it's like smoke in his nose, you know, it's not nice. So, um, so he says that, again, this principle of lesser and greater, is it how much better is a man than a sheep? Because he uses the illustration of, and it, because they said, you know, well, if you're a farmer and you use your horses to plow fields and it's work to have to feed them every day, but your animal has to, has to eat, has to drink water, then it is legal to untie your horse, lead it out of stall, get it drink, give it hay, whatever. They got to still survive too, even though that is work and could be interpreted as work. And so Yeshua is saying, of course it's okay to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Hey, all of you will rescue your ox out of a ditch because life is more important. So you have this principle. Um, and then continuing on. So he withdrew himself. He leaves and, and they, oh, and they want to, and so they want to destroy him on account of it because he is saying, he's basically saying, no, the whole premise on which you operate your religious organization and society is faulty. And, uh, I mean, he was going up against the religious authority and the power of the day that was, was a massive machine and all the multitudes were following him. And so you're having a massive power struggle and they don't like them. So 16, and he charged them all that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. That word judgment there, it's a really important word because we tend to think of judgment in a negative connotation, like the judge passes judgment and a verdict and... You know, that basically means you're going away for 20 years or whatever, right? But judgment, actually, when you break down the word and you look at it, especially in a, in a, a very tangible he, he, in the Hebrew, it means to make things right or to set things as they should be. It means to fix things, actually. There's been a broken situation. And so when you pass judgment, you are setting things back the way that they should be so you don't have disorder anymore. It's a good thing. The judge passes judgment to fix the situation, not to be like, you're going to jail, you know. Although sometimes that does fix or help fix the situation. So he shows judgment to the Gentiles because the Gentiles especially, they are these people outside of the covenant of Israel, right? And so there, there is no... They, they have no protector. They have no shepherd. They're like wild sheep just getting picked off and preyed upon. They're not let about. They're not hedged in. They're not taken care of. They're not looked after. They're not disciplined. And so you're on your own, and that's not good. So he passes judgment. 19, he shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth his judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So in his name, Yeshua, uh, which is salvation, his trust. Uh, and that, that name, the idea of the name means like the authority behind that name. It's not just like a weird, you know, little bumper stickers saying. So in, in all of that before is talking about how 
his ministry, though obviously well known and, and very, you know, lots of people followed him around, it wasn't like he was, uh, and he did lots of miracles. I guess it wasn't like an overt, he wasn't trying to reestablish the kingdom yet, basically. He was out uh, gathering in the hearts and the souls of the lost sheep of Israel and all those who would join themselves to him, and uh, including the Gentiles. And so again, you have this uh, juxtaposition of the, the, the religious leadership of the day and then the Gentiles who was who had a heartfelt response and wanted to follow him, and he healed them. Uh, so, let's keep going. And um, verse uh, 22. Then was brought unto him uh, one possessed with a devil, dumb, uh, blind, and dumb. Pretty bad off. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Yeshua knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil the house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So you have this whole little scenario go down. I think it's great. So you have, um, so you have this guy come in. He's demon-possessed. He's possessed by a devil. He's deaf and he's blind. So you got Helen Keller that's demon-possessed, right? I don't think she was. That was just an illustration. In other words, people don't just get better from this. And, and part of the miracles and the healings that Yeshua did were direct illustrations, and, and that's going to get hit on later on as we go through here. They were direct illustra illustrations of that he was the Messiah because it was said in a lot of their... Uh, uh, Talmudic writings that you know when the Messiah comes he'll heal the blind and the dumb and the sick and he'll cast out devils and all these things and so when he did that they were amazed and said is this not the son of David is this not the Messiah that's who they knew him to be which means he's the king uh, big problems if you're in charge and you don't like this guy right again so is drawing forth what's inside their hearts. And so when the Pharisees say it, they try to flip it around, right? 180 degrees. What does it always do? That which I uh, am doing, I'm going to accuse you of, right? So they who are serving, as Yeshua says in other parts, their father, the devil, they accuse him of casting out devils by the power of Satan, basically. And so Yeshua says, that's ridiculous. Why would, that just doesn't make any sense. Why would the devil cast himself out. He's not going to do that. Any house divided against itself can't can't stand. So, in other words, if you're going to, uh, uh, but it, so twenty eight. But if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, 
Then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house, spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. So you have to take control of the situation. In other words, Yeshua is saying, I've taken control of the situation. Now, one thing I want to hit on on this is that, at least growing up, my dad talked about it a little bit when we were kids in church, but this idea of uh, demon possession, devils, the spiritual unseen world, it is very, very, very real, and I think much more so than we tend to think. What's interesting to me is off, and I'm not saying this categorically in every situation, but a lot of the things we call mental illness or sicknesses or, and there's, I believe there's, there's always a physical element to it because we are physical beings, but we are spiritual beings as well. And, and we, they go hand in hand and they cannot be separated. And I think there's a whole lot more demon possession, devil, demonic influence than we care to uh, think about. And um, it just doesn't always, like, it's not always a little girl with her eyes rolling back in her head, you know? It's, Satan is an angel of light. And so, and there were, there were, the, there were synagogues that Yeshua went into where there were people p possessed, you know? So don't just think, like, you're always safe, basically. So you have to be, be critical, be a skeptic and understand that this is a very real thing. And so what do we do to guards against it? What did Yeshua do? He knew the Bible. He obviously, you know, obviously he did, but we need to know the Bible. We need to know the word because it gives us clarity, discernment, and then his spirit living in inside us can uh, uh, guide us appropriately. So it's very real. So he, um, so he shows that he uh, is is the Messiah there, and it shows who is with him. Oh, yeah, and then we get to the bottom there, verse 30, and he says, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. In other words, what goes on in their lives and how they act and react to God's word and to Yeshua is, is, is an outward illustration of what's inside their heart. Are they believers? Are they children of God? We're going to get to that to the end. Let's keep keep moving on here. Uh, 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin... So this is kind of... He's continuing on. He's kind of extending this teaching. And I, hopefully I'll kind of... I mean, at least explain my thoughts on this blasphemy of the Holy Ghost and, and what I see it as. I'm not saying I'm right, but it's just one one interpretation because what the heck my interpretation is as good as anybody's okay wherefore i say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men but the blasphemy against the holy ghost shall not be forgiven unto men and whosoever speaketh the word against the son of man it shall be forgiven him but whosoever speaketh against the holy ghost it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world neither in the world to come either make so now i believe so you have those two verses so he says blasphemy against the holy ghost you're done Blasphemy against the Son of Man, yeah, you can get away with that. But now I believe he goes on to clarify exactly what he means in verse 33. Either make the, make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known of his fruit. Why? So you have the, the tree, right? There's the seed, you, what you can't see, and it produces a certain amount of fruit. You can't see the Holy Ghost. You can see the Son of Man. And so... You can't say you believe and follow and, and, and worship the Son of Man if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. 
So you have to have both. Otherwise, if you don't have the Holy Spirit against in you, if you don't have his spirit in you, you're going to be against the Son of Man, against Yeshua himself, against his word. And so there's this idea of unseen is the seen. Seen illustrates what is unseen, if that's making any sense at all. You can, we're recording, so you can go back and listen. <laughs> so that's why... I believe all of this is connected. So, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's explaining. So, uh, 34. Old generation of vipers. So, he's calling them what they are, right? On the outside. How can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, what do vipers spew? Venom, right? So, they can't speak good things because what's inside them is wicked, Right? But I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Because words are just sound vibration energy from what's going on between the ears and in the heart and the spirit of people. And so what you reverberate out of you is emanates from what's inside that's why you will be judged accordingly to it uh and that's why i believe the bible talks about if you confess with your mouth that yeshua messiah is lord you shall be saved so there is it's the the bible's and that's why we like we do baptism the bible's big on outward production of what's inside what's the point of an apple tree or a tomato plant that doesn't produce tomatoes or apples Nothing. You're going to cut it down and throw it in the fire, right? So it's the same principle for people. And that's what he's laying out with and explaining with these religious leaders and their blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, i.e. God's working inside them or lack thereof of working inside them such that they are against him with their words and their deeds as vipers and snakes are. So, um, 38. Make sure I look at my notes. Okay, so they want a sign. Then, so if, if all of what we just read isn't enough and everything he's already done, the scribes and the Pharisees, they come unto him and they say, certain the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, you have to understand... Um, especially like rabbinic or orthodox uh, writings and, and uh, the way that they work is they always want, they want to, you know, give me a, prove to me you are what you are. Kevin, if you're from wherever, then show me something. So, and so they're, they're mocking Yeshua. They're saying, we want, show us some sort of messianic sign, miracle from God, then we'll believe. Well, that never works. I used to think like, good grief, man, if I was in the wilderness and I had been in Egypt, like, of course I would have believed, you know, or, or if I had been in Germany in World War II, of course I'd be against the Nazis. Well, statistically, you wouldn't, wouldn't be actually. And in the wilderness, we see, I think, beautifully demonstrated the condition of all mankind is that it doesn't what you see and proof texts don't matter, you know, that doesn't make anyone believe anything more than what they always are. Uh, there's a passage where 
I think the rich man dies and he's being tormented and he talks to, I think, Moses or Abraham and he said, if one would come back from the dead, you know, surely my family members will believe. And, and he says, they have Moses and the prophets. If they believe not them, neither will they believe lest one be risen from the dead. And I think that's exactly the same today. It doesn't matter if uh, you do, an, if, if, you know, there were great miracles and signs going on right now. You get a lot of like shock and awe, but then what does everybody do? Go right back to where they were and what they were, you know? It doesn't actually change anything. So they want a sign. And so <laughs> what's Yeshua say to them? He answered said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign and there shall none be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So those who want to sign some outward proof text, basically you're just declaring, I don't believe you. I think you're full of it. Prove to me otherwise by some great amazing thing. And he's saying, you're proving to me by your words and your deeds that, th that you are wicked and adulterous and uh, evil and adulterous. So, none shall be given them but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is thee. And the queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation, shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he said, I will return into my house from whence I came. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. He goeth, taketh with him seven more spirits, wicked than himself. And they enter into the house and dwell there. And the last day of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall be unto this wicked generation. So he's saying, there's nothing inside you guys. You are empty tombs. You are wicked and adulterous generation. And so... Though you may clean yourselves up, you're just a well-prepared palace for more wickedness to enter in. Because if you have not the Holy Spirit, God inside you, you are void and empty. And so, um, uh, ah, so yeah, without um, if you don't, if you don't get if you don't repent, so you have to have an outward show of what's actually transpired in your heart. The men of Nineveh, the queen of south, they demonstrated by the words and their deeds and their repentance what went on inside them. There was no, you know, Yeshua in doing his signs and his miracles should cause them to repent. But they didn't, they, they, they weren't going to, even if they had seen uh, his miracles or believed, sort of, without repentance, a real change of heart, to recognize that he is the Messiah and the King, then there's nothing actually changed inside them. And they're worse off than they were, basically, is what he's saying. So, um, then you, okay, real quick, we're almost done. And while, 46, while he talked with his brethren, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak to them. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brother stand without speak, desiring to speak with you. And he answered and said unto them that told him, Who's my mother? Who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is heaven, the same as my brother, sister, and mother. So this is, I think, a beautiful capstone on everything that we just read, is that who are his family? Who is 
numbered amongst him, who believes and follows him? Those who do the will of God. Who can do the will of God? Only those who have his spirit in them, enabling them to walk out his word, enabling them, us, to have the relationship with our Heavenly Father such that you can grow, learn, ask. Uh, you know, there's a difference in a kid that, or, or two people maybe, you have a, an authority figure and a, and a subordinate. Someone who, you can ask questions multiple different ways. You can question the authority or you can ask a question of the authority. And they're two different things. What stemming from a difference in relationship. And those who have a good relationship can really get into it, can have ask hard questions, can argue, can even fight. But there's a relationship, there's a connection there because they're both striving for the same thing, right? That's why I think David in the Psalms could just basically lambast God in many situations, thinking like, wow, you know, you expect to get smacked across the room, but, but there was a relationship. God knew his heart. David, I think, knew and understood the heart of God so that they could have this deep relationship and walk together uh, that would produce such great fruit. David wasn't perfect, made huge mistakes, but I believe that why God didn't wipe him off the face of the earth was, be, again, because he was a man after God's own heart. So, all of that to say, it's a matter of the heart. What's inside will be manifested. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for this day, for your word, uh, for the Sabbath, and how I, I think that it is a why I think it's one of the first things many of us get into with God is because you uh, put it in your word. You didn't give us a whole lot of real strict pointers on it. And I think it's a, a matter of the heart relationship between us and you that then defines whether or not we will subordinate our will to you, Father, and uh, build a relationship such that desires to please you and walk out your word and your ways. So I just pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us, that we would be uh, willing and uh, good hearers, good doers. Thank you for these things in Yeshua's name. I pray. Amen. Hey.